Welcome to season two of Outstanding Women Leaders, Witty and Wise Conversations. I'm your host, Katie L. Eads, leadership and relationship coach by day, comedian and writer by night. I'm on a mission to have 100 million witty and wise conversations that disrupt the way that we communicate. No more welcome to my TED Talks and dear Abby advice friends. It's time to start having powerful conversations that create space for infinite possibility. There are four components to a witty and wise conversation that have the power to transform the way we live and lead. Rule number one, inspired by the Coactive Training Institute, nobody gets to be wrong. Rule number two, nobody gets to be right. Rule number three, everybody gets to be vulnerable. Rule number four, my favorite, everything is included. So we will not edit. If there is a truck that goes by or a phone that rings, which is a reminder for me to silence mine, it will be included today. This conversation is exactly what it needs to be in this moment in time. We've asked our guests to join us via video to allow us to create authentic connection. Eyes are the window to the soul. You will be seen here. You will be heard here. There is space for you. Conversation is meant to be a dance an ebb and flow, a back and forth exchange of energies, thoughts, and emotions. The wit we bring to this conversation releases an endorphin known as the painkiller. You actually will feel better when you laugh. The wisdom we bring to the conversation will be seen in the impact this conversation has on everyone who hears it. When this comes to a close, I will ask you, our listeners, and our guests two questions. If you've tuned in before, you know what they are. If you haven't, you don't want to miss them. And I actually have three questions now. I've increased that since here. Uh, but enough about me and Outstanding Women Leaders. Um, if you'd like to follow us, we're on Instagram. Uh, let's talk about our guest today, Antia Boyd, born in East Germany before the wall came down. She was literally single her entire 29 years of life, which to be honest, is not as long as many of my girlfriends have been single out there, but feels just as long no matter what age it is when everyone around you is finding love. Antia grew up never feeling fully safe and secure in love. She also developed a hard shell of anxiety and an underlying insecurity in love. Fast forward several years later, and of course, what do you think she began to attract in her dating and love life? Emotionally unavailable men. We've all been there, ladies. She decided to risk everything and pack up her bags and take a journey to the United States to study personality psychology at UC Berkeley and finally uncover why the type of relationship that she had with her parents growing up was directly correlated with her lifelong dating and relationship struggles with attracting and keeping quality men. Antia had an epiphany and shortly after she attracting her super loving and supportive husband Brody, she's developed her signature system, Magnetize Your Man Method. For over a decade, Antia has helped thousands of elite single women all over the world attract the right man for them to share their life with, ASAP, without loneliness, frustration, or wasting time attracting emotionally unavailable men. I am so excited to have her today because I've spent that time uh, with emotionally unavailable men. My dad, if you've met him, you know he likes his drugs, and so that clearly had an impact on my choice in dating. And what I love the most about her story is when we say we have epiphanies, like she set an intention, New Year's Eve, as she entered 2012, she knew that it was going to be different. And she also met her man 
in 2012. And so I was just excited. Antia, welcome. Let's hear your story um, for all the ladies out there where it's 2020 and no matter what age it is, it feels lonely. <laughs> and we, they want to know how do they end 2020 or go into 2021 finding the man of their dreams. Mm, yeah, totally. Thank you so much for this incredible introduction, Katie. And um, I really have to say that, you know, I am, I can, I'm beyond grateful. I am beyond in awe of the life that I have created. You know, my husband and I, we, we've spoken on hundreds of stages all over the world, literally worldwide, retreats in Costa Rica, Australia, Bali, you name it, and spoken in, at Harvard, at Google, uh, to really high-level, professional, successful women, right, who were like just not being able to face their shame, to not being able to really be authentically vulnerable, right, and really attracting that right man for them. So I'm super stoked, you know. I mean, my husband is like, you know, we have this joke, we've been married for six years now, and people always say, so when is your honeymoon phase over? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's been seven years. So I don't know how does, how long is an honeymoon phase <laughs> usually last, right? So they're always like, so when did it end? I'm like, it's actually still going. <laughs> um, but I do believe that the reason why I'm so appreciative of that is because I have gone, like Katie said, through my own trials and tribulations, to say the least, you know, growing up to an emotionally absent household where my mom was like avoidant narcissistic, meaning I was trying to crawl into my mom's bed and mind you, I was like maybe 18 months old, so I could barely sort of reach the, the top of the mattress, so to say, right? When, when you stand, like about 18 months, you know, you barely reach that bed. And, uh, and she would like roll over and say, which of course means, uh, don't bother me, which that became my core message in my life, my core belief, right? Don't bother anyone, like don't be a burden. And so what did I do instead? Well, I made sure I don't bother anyone. As a matter of fact, I made sure I'm as self-sufficient as I possibly can be, right? Like cutting corners, making as many assumptions as I could, and certainly not leading with any kind of emotional expression or vulnerability. But instead, actually leading, when I met men particularly, I'm remembering that, right? Like I'd be just like, I'm good, I'm good. You know, I'm accomplished, I got to figure it out. I, I went grocery shopping by the time I was eight years old by myself. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. <laughs> that okay. Something really, really wrong with that. Uh, just saying. So, um, so the men were like, well, she doesn't really need anyone. Right. Or the men that really resonated with me were like avoidant. They were also conflicted inside of themselves. Cause I was conflicted. I still wanted the love that I never got when I was 18 months old from my mom. Right. But I pretended I don't need that. So I attracted men into my life who also wanted that love by pretending they don't need that. So like, so two anxious avoidant attachment styles meeting each other, one anxious avoidant meeting a complete avoidant. Those are usually the men that make a lot of promises. You do always want it, never expected miracle. And then only to just be dropped like a hot potato uh, without at a moment's notice. And there's no follow through of any words. And it just left me disappointed. Like Katie said, you know, feeling even more insecure, definitely feeling rejected and feeling abandoned, which is, of course, my worst nightmare, because that's what I experienced as a child. So that's a little bit the journey before I said, OK, well, hold on. What Katie said, right, I just actually pack my bags and do something completely different. 
You know, Tony Robbins says, if you wanted to have like a massive shift in your life, you have to take what? Massive action. So my massive action was like, I got it. I got to just get out of Germany. I got myself at UC Berkeley, studied attachment style theory. And then the master student of Mary Ainsworth, who back then actually developed a strange situation study, which of course became world famous, right? Like really un un understanding how infants respond uh, at a mom's uh, arrival as well as departure. And hence there were like three different types that were identified through that. So I studied all of that, understanding all of that so much on the highly, highest level, academic level you can imagine. And I would throw myself into workshops. Katie was just mentioning um, all the certifications she has and she's getting. So, so I was like very similar, just throwing myself into everything. I would never go clubbing or anything. I would just be like in workshops, seminars, getting certifications, learning NLP, understanding masculine feminine dynamics. I mean, you name it, I've done it. But here's the thing. I just knew everything mentally. Like I just knew it intellectually, right? Like I could convey it to, to someone like, like Katie, for example, right? And they would actually get results. So I knew I, there's something right about this, right? Because like, okay, so if I'm conveying it, they track, they, they integrate it. They know magically how to integrate it, um, but I'm not attracting it. And that was that pivotal moment uh, on New Year's 2011 uh, going into 2012, where I said, well, wait a minute. You know, I know everything, but yet nothing is showing up on the outside, like meeting all those great guys, but I'm not going, it's not going anywhere. You know what I mean? They're not asking me out on the second date. They don't even want physical. I have incredible stories, Katie, where you would be like, what? You know, like when men are just like, no, I can't kiss you because, you know, I don't know if I want to build a family with you. And I'm like, how am I attracting those guys? Right. Well, easy. I was so still conflicted inside of myself. And even though I had all the information, I didn't have the integration, right? I didn't know how to push myself through that. Uh, but the year of 2012 helped me to break more through that. And in uh, August of 2012, I ended up hiring a mentor who really helped me to be like, first of all, be vulnerable without weakness, which I didn't even know. I thought I was vulnerable. Like how much is that true, right? Like, I yeah, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> That's right, right? I'm like, uh, I mean, sure, whatever. You know, you can help me do this. You know, I think I'm already doing it, but whatever. Uh, all the setting boundaries without guilt. Because remember, with a narcissistic mother, guilt tripping was mm -hmm. like, was a daily routine in my household. And ultimately really trusting myself, putting both feet forward, right? And then in June of 2013, so that was about like nine months later of me starting this work, I met my incredible husband, Brody. He told me the first night we met that I'm the girl of his story. And you now keep in mind, right? I was used to men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do always want it. Never expect it. Whatever, right? So I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> but men know. Men know, right? And what was different with Brody was, for one, he didn't go crazy. He just stayed consistent. He just like asked me out once or twice a week, texted me, followed up, called, made... Like it was consistent, go figure, right? Like, <laughs> like what a concept, but I was not used to it, you know? Yeah, and now we're seven years later, Katie, you know? How did you quiet that anxiety um, when he just kept consistently coming around? You know, it's really interesting because I was pushing him away, right? Because my anxiety was like, I, don't, I can't trust this. I'm used to emotionally unavailable men that were... You know, they're hot, cold, up, down, right? 
So out of the sudden, um, I, I, it was incredible because Brody was not reacting to anything. So the guys that I was sort of seeing before, I mean, I was never in a long-term relationship, like, like you said before, Katie, but the guys that I was seeing before, they would become reactive. Like if I would get emotional, they would get reactive or something would, or they would just like um, stonewall me, right? And Brody would be just like, almost like holding space. Like I'm here, you do you. I was like ignoring him at a whole <laughs> night. But then at the end, I would always, because Brody was so like not reactive, I was faced with myself. So at the end of the night, I would text him and I said, I think I ignored you the whole night. And I would just do silly things like that. I'm like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it was like embarrassing. Um, I was breaking up with him for two hours. I tried everything. Oh, wow. I mean, you really, so like you yeah. really went through it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he didn't even know that it was a breakup because, you know, it's <laughs> so funny. And then I, yeah, but again, he didn't try to convince me otherwise. He's just like, okay, you do you. And so eventually I came around, right? Because I said, well, um, thank God I had a lot of like personal development. Of course, I had my coach, right? My coach said right away, he's the one. I was like, there's this guy. And he told me I'm the girl of his story. And he's, he's the one. And I was like, well, but how do you know that? You know what I mean? Like he's, I don't know about that. Um, but you know what? I think the biggest piece was, Katie, that with Brody, I never felt anxious in that sense. Like I felt resistance, but I didn't feel anxious. Mm. It I felt love like that distinction of resistance versus anxious. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. different feeling in your body. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. As a matter of fact, it felt calm. Like it didn't feel aggravated. Anxiety feels really aggravating and hot and fast moving in your body. And Brody felt more like, huh. It's like as I'm constantly, as if I'm constantly exhaling and, and there's just this calm lake, right? It's just, it's just calm. It's cool, content. And I didn't know what to do with it, Katie, because I like, I couldn't categorize it because we were also physically attracted to each other, but it wasn't those crazy fireworks. So I'm like, okay, so he's not just a friend, but he's also not you know, like romance, like it's, that's not how romance, how I experienced romance in the past. Right. So, I mean, I tell people I accidentally went on six dates <laughs> with Dan and, uh, I mean, by the time I kissed him, I was totally falling in love. I was in love with him. <laughs> that's funny. Days, that's yeah. how resistant I was. So you get that, right. It's like, I wouldn't even call it dates. I'd be just like, yeah, yeah I invited yeah. him over for dinner. Yeah. Because I wanted to pick his brain and have a conversation with him. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Brody and I, we had, we had studied this, read the same books. We studied David data. So we had like a lot in common. Right. So we're like, Oh, this is cool. Like I'm, I could always hang out with him and we could talk about um, spiritual principles, masculine, feminine dynamics. Back then he had his masculine university online platform and I had helped women a little bit uh, on the side. So to say, you know, cause I had nothing to show for it. So I never, marketed myself you know what I mean but I had always like little groups um that wanted my wisdom so we were just like connecting and you know but then about like two months in he um you know I was seeing other guys right because you know it's Hawaii by the way we met in Hawaii in Oahu um in Diamond Head um at a spiritual um center and community and so uh so about two months in he's like who was this 
friend because we were like at the same workshop. So we we're very like-minded, right? We would always like end up in the same places. And so he was like, who's this like quote unquote friend that like picked you up last night? I was like, was that a guy? And he just kept, he was so inquisitive about it, right? And then I was like, well, wait a minute. You do know I'm seeing other people, right? Because we're in Hawaii, we're like, you know, in our 20s, we're like having fun, right? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm not seeing anyone else. Like, I, I thought you're not seeing anyone else. And then he told me that he has feelings of love for me. He had to go home and look into his heart first. And then he came back the next day. And he's like, I have feelings of love for you, right? And that's when things shifted. Mm. Because he shifted, he became more available, but it was also because I became more available. I was just like kind of nonchalant, just floating around, having fun, you know, but like not thinking about anything serious. I mean, in Hawaii, come on, like you're not thinking I'm going to meet my soulmate in Hawaii. That's not what you're thinking when you go to Hawaii, you know? Yeah. It's interesting to hear you talk because what I hear in the, in the brain and what's happening is your patterning of thinking said Hawaii is most enjoyed by being single. Mm -hmm. um, and what you found is that it was most enjoyed by being in a relationship, which is a mindset shift that women, we always think that we're available for a relationship. But when I was planning trips and thinking about vacations, mine were solo or with girlfriends. I never wanted that to be with a partner. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that felt suffocating. Now I was divorced. So for me, you know, that um, wanting to be alone, like avoidant was because I didn't, I was emotionally unavailable. And so I know people find love right after divorce, um, but I had to find a new career. And I, I did what you did. I packed up my entire life and I drove, you know, halfway across the country to start a brand new life with a four month sublet and a job resume and an interview that I turned down the job for. Um, so you have to make a major shift. And for me that I wanted that to be a solo trip. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And it was, it was really interesting, Katie, because a month before I left for Hawaii, which was June 13th of 2013, uh, which interesting, right? Like 13, 14, maybe there's something there. Um, like my friend got married and I was the maid of honor. It was like in May, right? It was exactly a month before. And I was really interested in sort of like this, uh, I was like the best man or, or something like that, something like in the bridal party on the groom side. And uh, sure enough, story of my life up until that point, you know, he ended up with someone who came like later on, it was like not even dressed nice. And I was a maid of honor. And you know what I mean? I felt so good about myself. And, and the next day, I remember I was sitting down with my girlfriend, which by the way, I helped her to get married. You know what I mean? So it's kind of funny. Um, and I said, you know, I'm done. I'm just like done. I'm, I've been trying my whole life to, to not be single, right? I was like the resisting being single. I wanted to be in a relationship. I wanted to have a boyfriend. And I said, you know what? Like, I'm going to do it the other way around. Like, I'm just actually going to be for the first time of my life. I'm going to be deliberately single and I'm just going to enjoy it because I never enjoyed it because I always tried to not be in you a- You were attached to an outcome is what I'm hearing. Oh, I was <laughs> Yeah. So and you're always disappointed because the universe does not quite always work that way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So- so in a way, because I was an anxious attachment style, so I was always like kind of 
you know, I was writing down in my journals, I have all my journals still, you know, up to back to 2007, I think I still have all my journals. Wow. Um, and I would always be, I would meet somebody who's like, he's my soulmate. And then like a week later, I would meet somebody else. Like, he's my soulmate. And so it would be this constant, and it's good to see the journal. So it's like literally no joke, right? Like it's have, like, I have it like written black on white. I like, have a blog <laughs> <laughs> and every season is a new year. And, but I never said he's my soulmate. I always talked about like, you know, the promise, like, Ooh, it is promising for a second date. You know how I like a man that lies to me. Like I would always label the red flag on the first date. Mm-hmm. And have the second and third day if they were cute, because there's not a lot of cute ones out there. That's right. You know, it's that like, was definitely my avoidant doing that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's interesting too is with Brody of us, I was always running into him. It would be so weird. Like we would have like, there would be an opening at a museum at night, right? In Honolulu. And, you know, I mean, in Hawaii, there's a million things to do on a Friday night, right? You can go sailing and you can do so many different things right like i mean as you can imagine it's a whole tourist island right um and so brody would be at that same museum opening right so i remember i would never forget katie i looked at him and i said why are you here right like i at that moment i knew something you know universal like planets are aligned something's happening but i was freaked out right because you know I, at that moment i noticed I'm not in control. Like up until that point, I had actually made sure that I'm in control and I manipulate my circumstances, have all my rules. And when that happened, I was like, oh my gosh, something bigger is taking over. I don't know what's going on. I'm freaking out, right? And, uh, you know, and he had like other girls around and whatever. And I wasn't even, I didn't care about that. I was just so, I was shocked, you know? I was like, and he looked at me and I looked at him and, we both didn't know what to say. So we had those moments where we'd always run into each other. And I always say your soulmate or your divine partner, whatever you want to call it, is literally orbiting around you like a planet. So I love that you said that because Dan lived on the same block, one block away from my first job when I moved to the East Coast. Uh, well, I shouldn't say my first job, my career, my mm. third career in nonprofit as the executive director of True wow. Mentors um, is on First and Jefferson, and he lived a block away. Uh-huh. Um, and True Mentors is not there anymore, and neither is he, because he's moved in. Uh, we moved in together, but uh, it, he's he was there. He's been there for twelve years, just waiting for me to, you know, get divorced, move halfway across the country, and you know, get my shit together and meet him. <laughs> what a patient man! <laughs> What a patient man, right? But usually when you have a secure attachment style, right? They, they have the spaciousness because they know there's no rush. They have this like content and con- really their content inside of themselves that that serenity, this resting non-attachment inside of themselves. So same with Brody, you know, I was like, why are you here? He's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I just like no big deal. But, um, and then the other piece was like later on, we, like, you know, you go always through your, I call them initiations. People call them tests. I, I like to call them initiations. But um, after we were like dating for a few months, I still wanted to control things because, you know, that's, that's what I learned to do. I had a mom who was like highly controlling, really narcissistic, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you actually want to control because otherwise you're being controlled, 
right? So the baby thinks, oh, I better be in control than be controlled, right? Like I better trap other people than being trapped basically, right? And so, um, so I had like my ways of like getting my way, you know what I mean? With life and with the world and with men and uh, well, obviously not so much, but um, up to a point. And I remember like I wanted to like make Brody feel bad, right? It was about, I don't know, if the dishes were in the sink or something along those meaningless sidelines, you know what I mean? Um, but then I realized I'm like, well, wait a minute. So now I thought already about how I'm going that I'm going to make him feel bad. Right. But I wanted to have this authentic and trusting relationship with him. So then what does that mean? Well, that means like I now have to tell him, right? Because of what I think, what I say and what I do is in alignment. I have to tell him. So I told him. So I walked up to him and I said, you know, uh, part of me wanted to manipulate you. And uh, that changed everything for us because he he was like just smiling he's like really how, how did you want to do that and i was like you know you know how you respond to this guilt and blah, 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 you know what i mean so probably guilt tripping and and life was never the same after that because now he was opening up and actually sharing about hey part of me wants to run or part of me wants to isolate or part of me wants to there was this open door that was presented in the relationship, that door of safety. You know, safety is like such a like word that we use all the time, right? But what does that even mean? And it was the safety for, for both of us to walk through at any given moment and knowing that our partner is looking out for us versus using it against us. Yeah. I hear so much vulnerability in that for you and which ties right back to what you initially said with uh, that being a struggle. You thought you were vulnerable, but being vulnerable is being truthful and honest. That's right. That's right. You know, uh, by the way, I didn't say what my internal dialogue was saying because you said, how do you navigate your anxiety? It said, are you nuts? Have you lost your mind? Are you crazy? You're giving all your power away. Um, that's what my, my voice was saying, right? Because, you know, you're like, this is, this is how you control life. You're like, you're literally giving it all away right now. Are you nuts? Right? And, and this happened many more times when I wanted to leave just like for an hour, when I just wanted to get out of a conversation, slam the door. Um, I do have a temper. <laughs> but... Um, but instead actually turning around and just like walking towards him. And again, hearing my head saying, are you crazy? Why are you, why are you doing this? You know, you need to get space right now. Um, he's not the right one, whatever, uh, whatever the voice was saying, right? But was always like choosing like love over resentment because I could have always been right. Like one mm-hmm. of the things that you were saying in the beginning was like, you know, like really letting go of, anyone be right or anyone be wrong and so letting that go right because if I had left I could have made him wrong I could have been like you know he's wrong I'm out I need a break right uh but actually by me walking towards him letting go of that resentment and just like not knowing what's going to come through which of course was tears and was of course like a long hug and just like you know and just really acknowledging that all I really wanted was feeling loved. So this is all what we really want. So that was the authentic emotion, another reactive emotion. Because usually 
anxiety leads with a reactive emotion. It doesn't lead with the authentic, vulnerable emotion that yeah. you were talking about today. Yeah. I, um, I love that you work with women leaders and you talk about these women that are super successful and yourself included, right? And there's these, this one area of the life. Um, and when you talk about authentic emotion, for us women to succeed in corporate America, we are ta- told our emotions, our authentic selves are too much are not how we play games here. It's not how you move up the corporate ladder. We all, we talk about code switching. When we talk about diversity, we talk for women. We also have to talk about that as well. And the different hats that we have to wear, the different personas that we have. And it's, our brains are pattern machines. So if that is the pattern that we have at work, because that's allowed us to be successful, it's natural for us to want to go into a relationship and use that same brain. And I hear you, like all the dialogue in your head. When we talk about love, we're talking about an emotion. Mm-hmm. And emotions are felt in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, listening to your body means that you have to quiet <laughs> the reactive emotion that you talked about, right? That pattern that says in your brain, this is how it responds. How do you help women coach through the um, anxiety piece? Because that's a lot of noise in someone's head. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, one part is actually um, to do actually like acknowledge their shadow. Mm -hmm. So Brody and I, we actually did a shadow ceremony the night before our wedding, where we right away said, so everything that the chatter in the head, right? Like all that anxiety that's in there, right? Like, oh, he's going to find out about this and he's not going to like me about this. And he's going to, whatever it is, we were acknowledging whatever that anxious part was saying to each other. And then really bringing it out in the wedding ceremony, which by the way, can be watched on YouTube. You just have to type in Antium Brody Boyd. So the vows are on there. Um, And, um, and just really, and then bringing it actually into the ceremony to be witnessed, because there's also this other piece too, that power of being witnessed mm-hmm. that actually magnifies the whole thing, right? So it's really about like really saying, well, what are you judging about anxiety? Well, what are you judging about neediness, right? I remember in the summer of 2010, I was dating this guy and he actually uh, told me that I hug too much or I kiss too much or I'm affectionate to something along those lines, something I'm too affectionate, I'm something too much. And, um, you know, that moment I learned to advocate for my needs. And instead of like, so Brene Brown talks about shame shields, right? So instead of like going in any of the shame shields, which is attack, denial or collapse, right? I would just be, yeah, it's like as if you told me I have blonde hair, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm affectionate. I'm not sure what else to say. This is who I am. And, uh, you know, and then he's like, oh, no, no, just kidding. Because then he actually had to face his own shame shields. So he actually went into denial, right? You see it. Like, he's like, oh, just kidding, just kidding. I, I didn't say anything, right? He no longer advocated for, like, saying, hey, you're too, because he didn't have, what, what is he supposed to say about that? There is nothing wrong with it. And so this is what this is, right? It's really taking the anxiety and really removing the judgment from it. So just the letting the anxiety still be there. I actually don't believe in calming the anxiety down because it comes out another way. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's almost like a wrong making in not calming it down. 
It's almost like saying, right, when yeah. we women are like expressed and, and our partner saying, calm down, uh -huh. right? <laughs> What's the message we're receiving? It's like, he just literally told me that something wrong with me. Yes. Like, and we do that to kids. Don't cry. What are you crying over? Right. Uh, and right. you're absolutely right. The body is expressing the emotion so that the brain doesn't have to analyze it later. Yes, exactly. So what would the world be like if we just like, great. Yeah. You feel anxious right now. Great. Right. Let's open that up. Let's have a dialogue with it. You know, when I spoke at, um, at Google, oh my God, I was talking to all those like women leaders, right? Like what, like department heads and whatnot. And, um, and we're talking about how to navigate shame because you have all those projects where you have to communicate to teams and it's maybe an innovative, you know, I mean, we're talking Google, you know, everything is innovative all the time, right? Um, it was really about like leading by example, right? Like actually sharing something, uh, as well, which for me was like, look, I've never spoken in corporate before. So all those women, look, I've never worked in corporate. I've never spoken in corporate. I'm here in corporate. You know what I mean? Like I just, I went from UC Berkeley to become an entrepreneur. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I have no idea uh, what you guys are going through, but that was so incredible, right? To, to open up to that visibility that women actually came from the last row and sat closer. Women who already decided, oh, I'm just gonna, just gonna listen in because they have the highest level of shame, right? Like, yeah. And they would come later and ask questions. Um, so it's really about like, how can we create a world where we can actually express, like, I'm anxious right now. Like, I feel like there, there's, there's a level of uncomfort and insecurity. Yes. Right now, because this is my mission. You are at these authentic conversations, right? When we, so I leadership and relationship coach, right? You can't be in leadership at work if you are in, in without being in relationship with people. Mm -hmm. And corporate America is uh, rewarding inauthenticity, mm -hmm. and that is carrying over into relationships. And so we keep talking about this glass ceiling for women and how women can get past it in corporate America. We have a glass ceiling in our own relationships as well. And I, I love that you said leading by example. Um, mm -hmm. When you're climbing a ladder at a place where you're leading by how you want to change things, when you're living in your own authenticity, it ripples into your professional and your personal life. It absolutely does. And it also provides a permission mm -hmm. to the other person, right? You're creating a container. Oh, I can go to that level. When Brody and I used to do our own um, events back when we lived in the Bay Area, now we live in San Diego, um, we would always say, um, okay, guys, we want to share something that we don't want to share, right? So maybe we would share that we just had an argument five minutes earlier, but here we are talking about how happy we are or whatever, right? And we would always really speak to something that would make us vulnerable, right? We would like look at each other. We would do the exercises with, with, with them together, right? And be like, you know, one thing I don't want you to know about me. And it wouldn't be something rehearsed that I'm normally saying because it's still vulnerable. If it wasn't vulnerable for me anymore, because I've spoken on so many stages, right? I would dig deeper and think about, what is it now? What, what is it now? And so 
there's, there's such a tremendous freedom. I'm, I'm a total advocate. You'll see me all the time sharing like really embarrassing stories on my YouTube channel and, and all of that. I'm like brand fresh content. You know, if I think like, Oh my God, this is going to be whether they're going to think I'm going to share it. Right. Because you create a new world of relating to each other. If that's possible, like that we no longer actually, by the way, there's all this research that when you struggle or you share something vulnerable and you post it on Facebook, you get, I think it was 10 times the amount of comments that you get if you share like, yeah. oh, hey, got published as a New York Times bestselling author or whatever, you know? But if you're like, wow, you know, when I was 15, I went through this space and I just, you know, I didn't know if I want to live any longer. Hundreds of comments. Why do you think that is? Yeah, in, in, in Positive Intelligence, um, he talks about, the currency ex of exchange required for trust is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And what's so interesting about that is our senior leaders in corporate America will tell you that trust is consistency over time. Mm -hmm. And it is, um, and being vulnerable consistently over time builds trust. And because it's the currency of exchange, it is the fastest way to build trust. So if you are looking at a relationship and you're looking at your clock ticking for the ladies, if my friends ever tune in, we're all older, um, they're, <laughs> someone's listening, it's not them. Um, that currency of exchange of vulnerability will immediately open up a door for trust um, for people and connection. And which is why I always, um, so I was just vulnerable enough. I really relate to that when you talk about um, thinking you were vulnerable, you know, when I was dating, I was just vulnerable enough to know on the first date what the red flag was. I was truthful enough to see through their bullshit and their truth. Um, but I, if I had, I didn't do the right thing with that information, which would have been to say, thank you, but no thank you on the second date, mm -hmm. which for yeah. me is really, yeah, is that testament to um, the avoidant, which is self-destructive when you are expressing that attachment style. And here's the thing too, right? It's, um, it's not easy. I mean, we had so many of our wedding um, guests, of course, but also other people watch our videos wanting to have our vows. And they were so enamored with this idea of a shadow ceremony. Nobody did it. Nobody did it because it, it takes something, you know what I mean? To lean into that edge. Like it's, it's like no joke, you know, it's really facing yeah. that, yeah, that deepest level of, of shame that you yeah. are hiding from yourself potentially even, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and you bring two involved. people together with that. And that is why you have the seven year itch. You're in your seven years, right? And you're still in your honeymoon phase mm -hmm. um, because vulnerability doesn't end. Yeah. And it, I think that's also what allows you to grow because why would you ever leave a relationship where you get to be everything and more, right? Where your spouse encourages you to take on different risks, to reinvent yourself. You're not being expected to be the same person. Uh, you get to share even more, even if it's like something that scares your spouse because we have different parts inside of us. So if your spouse says, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, and as this part of me that feels is as afraid to be trapped, because that's a childhood wound, right? Or there's like a part inside of me that wants to run sometimes. It's a childhood wound. So it's your void attachment style. You know, can that relationship have that space 
that the other spouse then doesn't say, oh my God, he wants to leave me. And then, and then or she, right? If she says that, so it doesn't matter, by the way, it's not gender specific. Um, like, and then the other person is going to feel that it's not going to share anymore because they've, they, they don't want to make, of course, the, their spouse feel unhappy, you know, or feel fearful, right? Or like feel like, um, you know what I mean, hurt potentially even, right? Because they take it personal. But instead, like, interesting, tell me more. What is that all about? Wow, I have that part too. It's a different area of my life, right? Like, that's kind of like what we're looking for here. It's like really how to navigate all of that. And that's the edginess. That's why so many people say there's marriages within the marriage, right? It's like, you know, you're, you're walking with this kind of like edginess, right? I'm like, okay, whew, okay, got it. Because when somebody's anxious and their partner tells them they have a runner inside of themselves, that brings up their worst fears. But you can't grow in a relationship if you don't face those worst fears. Not that they're coming true, but to just acknowledge them. Yeah. And by the way, you usually have that inside of yourself too. That's a little bit more hidden. <laughs> yeah. And co-active, we uh, say what you can't be with runs your life. And mm -hmm. it's, so in a relationship, uh, if you haven't been able to be with it enough to be vulnerable enough to express it, it will run the scenes. Um, it mm -hmm. is where you'll be reacting from. Yeah. Uh, so you have developed this magnetize your man quiz. Um, tell me, tell us a little bit about this and, and how you're using it to help people navigate the different attachment styles. Yeah, totally. It's for the women who are really struggling, attracting emotionally unavailable men. And by the way, it's not about the age, it's about the stage. So most women that I work with, they're starting their like sort of mid forties and we go into like, you know, mid fifties, somewhere around there, somewhere a little younger, but, um, you know, that's, it's not uncommon that a woman comes to me who was married before and so on. So if you're struggling with attracting emotionally unavailable men, trust issues, right? You're already, you're already navigating your conversations on the first date. You're not even putting your best foot forward. You're already focusing more on the other person than actually making sure that the other person focuses on you. Then that's really what we want to look at, right? So that's what the magnetize your man quiz looks like is, is actually what is it that you really want and where is the blind spot in that, right? Where you're actually disassociating or where you're associating as well, right? Because when we navigate and when we um, try to sort of manipulate and influence situations, we don't show up authentically. So we're looking in the quiz, where are you not showing up authentically? Mm -hmm. And then also, how do you actually feel about your vision as well? Because like if you feel, you know, I so often I ask women, I've, you know, of course, you know, I told you I worked with thousands of single women and, and when I ask them, right, um, what they really want. And then I actually say, how much do you actually believe this is possible? And they're like, I don't know, like a five. Right. And it's like, okay, so let's look at that too. How much is this actually in your sweet spot? Or what do you want to accomplish? Because if you, I don't care you could have the most beautiful list that's 10 pages long. If your core belief is, this is possible at a mediocre level, like, you know, level five, uh, but this is not really possible. You're not going to accomplish it. So we're going to look at all those beliefs underneath as well. And then what, where are you afraid that shame is going to come up for you? Because you will have to work through this. You will have to navigate mm -hmm. your own shadows, which are judgments that you have inside of yourself towards yourself. You yeah. Know, so. 
I love that. What I, what's coming up for me is you, as I think about the vulnerability piece again, as you're talking, cause you're really helping people with those blind spots. Once they are sitting with that vulnerability, um, what can women do to try and practice or exercise that muscle that says authenticity um, in this moment? Well, you could really say you don't have to say it out loud, but if you are on a date, you could say, if you really knew me, you would know, right? Like you could really think about, or oh, one thing I don't want you to know about me. So obviously you don't say it out loud to, to a guy that moment, right? But just thinking about those kind of prompts, like what is something that if, you know, one thing I, I, you know, if you really knew me, you would know. Or one thing I don't want you to know about me is that, you know, I don't know. I can be messy. I can be crazy. I can be uh, whatever it is, right? So it's always like, what are you hiding from yourself? And then the other piece is also when you go on a first date is really what are you afraid to be found out about? That's why we did the shadow ceremony, right? So, so if somebody were to really experience your life, what is something that you think like, they're going to find out about you that you don't want to be found out about, you know? So that's also going to help you tremendously because then you can actually just say right away, Oh, I can just like speak to that. Well, I can just let it be. And if it comes up, it comes up, doesn't have to come up, but at least I no longer resist it because if you resist it, that means you're overcompensated on a date. So if you're resisting, for example, like feeling um, insecure, then how are you going to overcompensate it on a date? or in a relationship, you know, or at work, it doesn't really matter, um, is becoming overcompetent, right? Like controlling the situation, driving the conversation, navigating, like, I got it, I got it, you know, I'm, I'm totally secure, totally secure, right? And then what happens is the man doesn't send energy back to you because they feel like, oh, she got it. So let's focus on me because she, she definitely don't want us to be focused on herself because she's already saying, you come off as numb. You come off as frozen on a date when you do that. And then the man will automatically focus more on himself because it feels super uncomfortable to be with, with a numb system, with a numb energy, right? So it's, it's going to feel really uncomfortable for the band. So he's going to be like, okay, let's focus on myself or just stay on the surface. Yeah. So those things that I highly recommend for women to start doing is really, and then the, the last piece that I have is uh, we usually have two charged emotions. One is sadness and one is anger. So it depends what kind of parents you grew up with. You may have been shamed for collapsing, which is sadness, right? Like, you know, you got to be stronger. If you don't stop crying, I'm giving you something to cry. We have all those messages, right? On the other hand, somebody may be extremely, you know, able to, to be sad, right? And collapses all the time but they can't be angry because maybe their parent was angry and they're like, I'm never going to be like that. Like I would never be that forceful. I would never take up that much space, right? I would never inflate myself in such a way. So really finding out like which of those emotions for you is the one that's taboo. That's your biggest doorway to really like start to become self-expressed. So if you're, anger is taboo for you what do you do to work on that well i mean for one you have to release the judgments towards everybody else who's angry because you can't even you know so if you have a girlfriend who's angry it's like oh she's always so angry you know or like my teacher is always so angry or my 
uh, not my teacher, but like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, my boss or my CEO or somebody, you're going to have somebody in your life because whatever you suppress, you are going to bring in your environment because they remind you of that all the time, right? Until you resolve it. And I usually that leave your life is kind of funny. Um, and then the other pieces actually start um, expressing it, like actually like accessing it, right? Like saying like, okay, the compassionate person will go more towards sadness and collapse, right? Because they're like, I would never attack a person like that. I mean, you know, everybody has challenges and you know what I mean? I would never be that hard, but they need to find that protest inside of themselves, that protest, that right of their own truth, right? That, that anger that they were not listened to when they were a child, despite if the parents had their own traumatic experiences and their own childhood or, you know, because remember that sad part, they're usually the compassionate ones, right? So they're always like, oh, mom and dad, they had a, a tough childhood and they had like, you know, five kids and yada, yada, yada. No, it needs to be about you. It needs to be, you no. Know, but I have also a right to get my needs met, right? So you need to kind of drive that, that right. Like after that right, you know, weren't, weren't you angry? Like look at a child who throws a temper tantrum. That child knows I have a right to get that lollipop. No, no, whether you get the lollipop or not, uh, depends on your parents, right? But that child is aware of its individual right. And that's what needs to happen there. You actually need to move more into the protest. And the protest is always there because I've seen even like people who are actually like very like quote unquote compassionate and rather just collapse all the time. You get them to a certain point and they will go into protest because if you push them past the threshold, which most people don't because those people also know how to manipulate situations really well just like don't make me so sad and don't make me do this and you know yeah. but they be all passive aggressively i'm like i oh, may as well just be aggressive because you do it passive aggressively anyways you have to you have to release it in some way shape or form i guarantee you okay you could throw me together with any woman i don't care how soft-spoken she is and she's never she has no angry bone in her body <laughs> i will find it i found it for myself <laughs> i was hiding it from myself you know, I have been uh, reframing passive aggressive because I would tell, I would tell a story and I would say this girl at work was really passive aggressive. And my friend was just like, no, that was just aggressive. And I, you can get to that point where you're repressing so much that it's not really passive anymore. And I think we should get rid of that. Right. I mean, aggression is aggression, whether it was um, a needle or a knife, you still poked the bear. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the thing with the passive aggression is that it's distorted. So when you express anger, pure anger, it's actually powerful, right? Because it's pure, you know, it's like pure anger, you move it through, but passive aggression is distorted. So there's also a part inside of you where you lose, lose self-trust. Yes. You know, it, this expression is sort of true, but it's not all of me. So distortion means it's not all of me. You know what I mean? There's something else mixed into that that I don't know to what extent and, um, and I don't have control over. But if I really say I'm choosing to express anger, by the way, there's no targeting. So we never targeted at a person, right? Um, but I choose to express anger, right? Like I'm now fully aligned. I'm fully in power. I'm fully in charge, right? And I'm charged up. And this is all of me. There's no, there's no residuals that are like, other things or defensiveness or some other things that are connected to it, shame or, you know, that's what shows up when you go into passive aggression, right? You're not really getting the point across anyways. And the self-trust is not there. 
Mm. You're disconnecting more and more from yourself. Yeah. The self-trust. I mean, coaching is all about self-acceptance, self-authority and trusting yourself uh, is a huge part of that. I love what you're bringing to this uh, YouTube space. So for people listening, you have to check her out on YouTube. The authenticity that you bring when you talk about, um, you know, you have to practice what you preach. You have to lead by example. And in Coactive, all of the classes when training coaching are not simulations. They're people being authentic. And uh, it's very inspiring to see leaders, uh, like even yourself included, where you're willing to be vulnerable to say, I have an incredible relationship. Every day is amazing. But here's a moment where we expressed X, Y, Z. And that is just so powerful for women um, and men as well to hear. Um, I have a, I'm just, how are you guys co-leading? Do you have a business together? Is that correct? Yeah, my husband does like the systems. Yeah. So we obviously speak together as you can see on many different photos on our website and whatnot. Um, but now he's really stepped into his genius zone, which is building systems, uh, anything like programming related. He's a genius at, and uh, yeah, so he just like loves doing that. So he builds all of that. And, and I, you know, and I'm like sort of quote unquote, he calls it, I'm the front of the company. I feel we're still the front, both the front of the company. It's like, if you go to the website, you always see both of us. Um, but yeah, it's like, and that's the other thing too. It's actually, um, that's what our, marriage has evolved into because it actually went through a shift and it, it took a little uh like oh oh we're not doing this together anymore in this way right so it's like this um way of like really allowing your marriage uh, well your relationship you don't have to be married um to evolve into what's for the highest and best good for both right it's got to be a win-win because you know what when my husband, because I asked him I said you know if you would do anything on this planet you get all the money in the world you can do anything you want if all the resources He's like, I, I, would, I would build systems. I'm like, so you're actually doing what, you're, what you desire to do. So when you're in that kind of relationship where both partners, because I can't imagine anything else. Like I just, I've got many offers, other business ventures. Um, I said, no, I'm just, this is it. This is it for me. And so like, imagine like every night, you know, you get together with your partner and like both got to do what they're here to do. Like how invigorating is that, is that relationship, is that connection, you know, are those conversations, um, that's what I'm super, super excited about. And he's, yeah, he, I mean, he's my best friend. He's my confidant, you know, so I mean, he's, he's my lover, my king. Like, I mean, I say, you know, he's really everything um, and more, um, you know, like my advocate and uh, yeah, I couldn't do it without him. Yeah. I mean, Dan and I just moved in. This is the new office. First time on the podcast in this office. Um, and we've already joked about our HR policies because uh, he works from home as well and he's right around the corner. And uh, it's so wonderful, right? To be able to do what he builds. He's a system builder as well. Uh, he would really, <laughs> the four, we should get on a double date at some point. They would, um, and I'm totally serious because I want Dan to pick your husband's brain so that he can build a system for me. <laughs> um, but it's, it's so fun and it's, it's just, an, it's wonderful. And as someone who has been the entrepreneur twice in two different relationships, um, I would love to hear your advice for co-leaders. 
uh, for, because to me, this is the American dream right now. Um, that is what I'm living. And I, what you're living every day is um, you're your own bosses, our HR department, everything is included. Nobody gets to be right. Nobody gets to be wrong. It's great. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah totally, totally. Yeah, and I mean, the biggest thing is like really being clear uh, on your mission, right? So Brody and I, were very clear that our mission is to create power couples on this planet. You know, we were asked that at Harvard like years ago and people were like enamored with this concept of power couples. Like, what does that mean? And, you know, because we're really thinking um, into the future. And again, it's different for every single person, right? But for us, it's really like this idea to really create true interdependence within a marriage that then for one also, um, because we will have kids, you know, obviously, um, and like the kids are learning that too, and they're actually seeing healthy, conscious, aware parents, which of course also creates like healthy, conscious, aware, like children we know, that think for themselves, that build their own businesses. And so it's really about like really doing what you're here to do on this planet. Right. So we're like out of like survival. Right. And then we're also out of like, you know, doing things to do things. Right. Not just survival, but just like, you know, just what everybody does. We're going to our nine to five. Now we're really moving into this place of soul expression. Like, what are you here to do? Maslow's hierarchy, the highest level of self-actualization. has never been so real than actually like this year. I think more people are actualizing it. I think more people were, were people already do, that were aware of it. But I think this year, particularly, people really become aware of that highest tip of the Maslow's hierarchy, right? Because when we really get to be self-actualized, right? We just, we get to be a channel. I mean, it's like, it's the infinite. Anything is possible. Anything can happen and we can really create heaven on earth or whatever you want to create paradise on earth or, you know, we can really create our own reality. And I really believe this is, this is possible for the first time really in history. That yes. When you talk about vulnerability, right. And we talk about that as being this currency of exchange required for trust. COVID has put the entire world in a place of vulnerability. And it is a huge opportunity to build trust quickly um, and dating. And so do you have any advice for people dating during COVID? I, I, I am very lucky. I met Dan, um, of course, the, man, the year I meet the man, love my life, a pandemic hits, but I met him a month before we shut down here on the East Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Um, so for one, one thing I would tell you is that if I just look at my clients and their results, and I would not know that there's a, uh, there's a pandemic going on, right? Like I would not even, uh, I would not know because I've never seen so many women actually find love. And I think one way how I think this is happening is because men that are, were more on, you know, whatever country clubs or wherever they were golfing, traveling the world, right? They're finally lonely because they can't fill their life with a void of activities anymore. Right. So they're really, their priorities are starting to shift. And so it's almost like, you know, we're looking in the housing market right now, right? It's almost like those high quality men are coming on the market, right? Like that they're really on the market and becoming on a market that's um, tangible through online dating, uh, virtual speed dating, right? So there's many different companies. Yeah. And people can move and work from home. So 
that I don't, that's just what's coming up for me right now is ladies look at a different state. I mean, New York is people are fleeing left and right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally, Jersey. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and this is the other thing too, is I think, um, people are really, uh, able to go outside of their comfort zone because they have to. So now it's almost like, you know what? I already broke outside of my comfort zone. Like what else is possible? So I think it's the, the level of reinvention of people wanting to leave coastal states that they thought they're going to retire in going more inland, going more to back to the roots, going more traditional, right? Going more, Oh, I can grow my own food potentially. Like so many values are shifting because like now we're already cracked open. So now we can just, we might as well just assess our entire life. And I think that like hugely contributes to women and men equally having so much success in dating where I've seen like, you know, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, even like celebrities I see who have been single forever. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, and out of the sun, they have like some nouns when they get engaged, you know? And so I think that's really part of it because nobody does the book tours. Nobody like you, you're not going anywhere. So you all see that you have to be with yourself. You have to be with all your coping mechanisms because when your coping mechanisms was running, right? Like the avoidant part that like wants to travel and explore and like the yeah. themselves. And now you can't do that. Now you actually have to be with it. You know what? Like, yes, I am afraid to be alone, you know? And yes, I am going to take, um, you know, um, advantage of that. So I think the best place um, is definitely online dating, uh, but there's also lots of virtual speed dating. So if you just Google that, if you just go into Eventbrite, if you just go meetup.com, uh, so many virtual events for singles, like virtual cocktail hours, things like that, um, that have really, you know, come out of this, right? Because a lot of dating companies have pivoted to that model where they, before they had like their matchmaking and they had their speed dating in person. And now it's just removed to it all online, right? Yeah. Really great uh, moment. And then the other thing also is I would, you know, what's really interesting is right now is if you're an entrepreneur or, you know, you think about being an entrepreneur or something like that, there's so many workshops now that are virtual that also have like breakout rooms. So there may be like a hundred people in the group, but they do breakouts. So also great space to meet people. I have lots of women who met men through, um, you know, stock meetings, you know what I mean? Of companies or, um, you know, they were going to entrepreneur marketing events or whatnot. Right. Um, and met them in there. So also really great opportunity and from the convenience of your home. I love that. And even a more for a bonus ladies is that you can really be authentic when you're not going on this pressure date, um, in a space where there's people that are on the same page as you. Um, what amazing advice, amazing episode. I cannot wait for this to release. Um, and a few and Sunday night, Monday morning, it'll be out there, uh, which is a quick turnaround for us. Um, and I would love what you said. If you look at my clients, you wouldn't know there's a pandemic. So ladies that are still listening right now, uh, love is out there. And this woman is on a mission to help you find that power, be a power couple. And I love that. It's like that co-leader. Um, that to me is that power couple where you're both giving a hundred percent. Um, your mission is to lead together, um, not necessarily to drag the other person along. Um, be before we leave today, I have three questions I always ask. Um, my first one is, 
What's your superpower? Uh, mine is, I would say, connecting, helping women to connect with themselves mm. beyond of themselves knowing that. Yeah. What's your purpose? Well, it's really to empower single successful women to really create, attract their power partner, you know, on this planet. My last question is you stand in your superpower as you sit here with your purpose of helping empowering women to find their man. What's next for you? So what's next for us is like we have our uh, magnet, well, our attract your right guy summit, which ironically when this, so you're watching this. So we're like, you're starting to see some material of that. So that launches on October 4th. And it's with 12 juicy experts. Uh, oh, I think it's 13, actually. Um, and really, you're learning about like how men actually commit. How do they date? How do they communicate? So like, how do you actually understand like that secret language, <laughs> that, that Minglish, so to say, right? <laughs> uh, but also online dating secrets that I guarantee you, you have not heard before, right? And um, yeah, just really, really excited for that and learning how to really be vulnerable without weakness, you know, setting those boundaries without guilt, right? Just really like feeling into you have the right to set that boundary um, and really like attracting a high quality and also available man. So we need to have both, you know, we usually yes. forget one or the other. So making sure that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I was attracting neither. I was going for the low, low quality. <laughs> unavailable. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if you've made it this far in the podcast and you enjoy what you heard, please leave us a review. You can go on Apple podcasts. You can go to Podbean. You can also hit us up on YouTube, Outstanding Women Leaders, or my website, Owl Professional Coaching. If you're interested in having your own witty and wise conversation, you can join me on the podcast. Or if you're interested in a complimentary coaching session, I'm available. Leadership, relationship, and life. I mean, that is really what life is about. Um, before we go, I also wanted to share a witty and wise in relationship series and bring your own brain is back. So the witty and wise relationship series, I would actually be honored to have you on. Um, Antia and have you, uh, share a little bit. We, uh, meet the last Wednesday of the month. So we'll have to find a Wednesday for you and it's open to all pronouns are welcome. Uh, witty and wise conversations. We follow the same rules that we do here on the podcast. We're creating an authentic space for you to bring your relationship problems, questions, um, whatever it is that you're tolerating, we have an amazing uh, group of people who are there to support you. So we'd love to have you join us sometime as well. Um, and Bring Your Own Brain will be back. If you are a man and you listen to this podcast, you deserve to be on the show, just not your own, all right? So find someone. we will uh, find someone else for you to join me on Bring Your Own Brain. A men are welcome on those conversations. And those happen the first Wednesday of every month. And this Wednesday, um, we, we missed it this month because I moved, so we're recording it tomorrow. But this month, we're talking about leadership and specifically looking at um, what shift needs to happen in leadership during COVID. So tune in for that. Thank you again, Antia. It's so great uh, to have you. And la last words that you'd like to leave our audience with today. 
uh, I would really say never sell out on yourself. Like really be unapologetically your big, your bold, and your bright self. I love that. Thank you so much.